95.9 KRFF Radio Free Fargo. Well, this year marks the 25th anniversary of one of my favorite albums. 1995, we saw an era of bands kind of getting ignored, of course, because alternative and grunge had moved in. But an era of bands were putting out what I feel was some of their best music and not to exclude the artist formerly known as from Dangerous Toys. And we're happy to have him on the phone for a chat. Jason McMaster. Jason, how are you? I'm doing well, considering. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Cheers from uh, our pad here in Fargo to you down there. Are you still in Texas, yeah? I live southeast of Austin now in Lockhart, Texas, um, self-proclaimed as the barbecue capital of Texas. Ooh, How are you uh, spending your time right now? Uh, I'm working from home, so thank God for that. Uh, I'm a music teacher for the School of Rock. I'm I'm uh, I'm sitting in a chair, you know, ten hours a day teaching people how to rock. If there's one thing that does not um, should not be part of uh, of what you think of when you say rock and roll, and that's sitting in a chair in front of a computer screen. <laughs> um, attempting to talk about or at least god forbid have to show someone how to play rock and roll on you know via skype style you know and it is not it's not cool it's it's i'm i'm uh, i'm 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 extremely happy to have a job and i'm and i'm uh because i can't play shows and a lot of stuff is canceled and moved to later in the year um but you know i'm making the best of it and um you know, I'm getting to catch up on some music and obviously some, uh, you know, get to mow the yard when I want to. Well, it sounds like the students are in good hands. I mean, what better teacher than to have Jason McMaster to show you how it's done? Are you getting inspired by this whole pandemic and doing some songwriting? Oh, you know, I could force myself to go that route. Uh, there's there's plenty of, of, uh, of things for me to work on as far as recording. I'm giving a master class a weekly masterclass on songwriting uh, exclusively for the students at my school. And I usually have about eight or 10 online at a time in a group meeting. And um, that's inspiring me because, you know, talking about my process with people is inspiring to just make me want to do it. There are a lot of unfinished Dangerous Toys songs that just pretty much need to be flushed out. Uh, sitting sitting on a hard drive somewhere in Texas and um, being inspired to work on the songs means that there's not really any social distancing. So we would have to travel because none of us live... Um, one of us, two of us live in Austin. They, you know, Paul and Mark, and they live on different sides of the earth called Austin. And then Scott lives uh, in North Texas, and I live in South Texas, and so does Mike Watson. And he's in Blanco, I'm in Lockhart, Scott's in Granbury. Sure. It's a pain. So we're not really, Texas is big. We are, we are all sort of, a, you know, an hour or more away from each other. This is not an excuse, by the way. Right. This is just how it is. But we're all busy uh, and have our own world going on uh, and supporting ourselves. We've tracked a few songs, uh, but then it's just been a bit of a curse. By way of, uh, you know, there's some things I can't really, uh, not at liberty to mention um, that have happened that that have slowed us down quite a bit. And then now this thing happened. Um, But like I said, that, you know, 
pretty much, an, uh, we've already pretty much picked what songs are going to be on the record out of, out of a batch of about 20. Your last original album together, 1995, the artist formerly known as, now personally, I'm going to say that it's one of my favorite Dangerous Toys albums. What do you remember about that time? Well, first off, thanks for all of the love you just gave the artist formerly known as. Usually in the business, and fans hate it when I say this, good press is usually bought and paid for. You're not really paying someone to like you. You're paying someone to write about you. And usually when when you're paying someone to write about you, they favor you and they give you they give you between seven and seven and nine out of ten because you're sending them check. And a lot of people hate that and they don't realize that. But we couldn't win with the artist formerly known as for the most part. Uh, just because I didn't grab my crotch, uh-huh. I was playing bass. I didn't say baby, baby, baby. The lyrics were not about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They were about change. They were about historical things that were happening to an era. And I feel like we somewhat followed a trend. We said, let's just write songs. Let's don't pretend anything let's just write songs let's don't dare to be different let's only dare to be different if it feels and sounds real and that those are the songs that we came up with and those are just the you know 10 or whatever it was that ended up on the record uh we had lost an original member at the time mike watson he had to uh leave the band for a while for personal reasons and we got uh michael hannon from salty dog who was a friend of ours to play bass on a tour we did about 200 shows in 92 we had lost danny aaron and we got Paul Lydell. We had Kevin Fowler. Let me back up. This is quick history. Uh, in 92, uh, we lost our deal with Columbia and Danny Aaron quit. We replaced him with Kevin Fowler, who is now a regional giant country star. Uh, and he did a 200 date tour with us in 93. Uh, in January of, it might've been New Year's Day. Uh, in January of 94, Paul Lydell knocked on my door. Uh, we had courted him as early as 92, but he had obligations with dirty looks. And so he, he, he finally made it down. And, um, in March, which is literally less than three months later, by mid March, we were, we were in LA recording with Paul Idell on guitar. So, uh, and that was with Mike Watson and on bass, Mike did the record. And then we came back to Texas and Mike, you know, dropped a bomb on us and we had a tour booked and uh, we got Michael Hannon to play uh, to play bass on that tour. We had to change a few things around because uh, Mike sang a lot, but Paul was already singing a lot. Paul's an amazing singer, but we had three singers go and pretty much almost every song. There's you know harmonies here and little stuff here, and it was a big part of of what I do is really kind of pushes the songs and. So Mike Hannon's a, a sort of a darker tone vocally, and so we had to move a couple things around vocally, but we survived it, 
when the tour was over, which I'm guessing was about April, uh, you know, a year later, April, Mike went home and we started writing material, but I was playing bass. And that that. ended up turning into the artist formerly known as. And the producers came to Texas this time, and we recorded the artist in South Austin, Texas. We were same label as DMZ Dose, a sister label of Antone's records, but just independent, you know, had distribution and stuff. That's about it. A little more DIY. And the artist sold about 9,000 records. That was people really taking a chance who were sort of, we were on their radar. And between 92 and 95, 96, people had just thought that we had broken up. Uh, um, Because we weren't on MTV anymore, that's not our fault. There was no profile You know, so we were more, we were on the road. We were touring right through their backyard and people weren't paying attention because they were looking on MTV and the radio. And when you don't have the giant working for you, you have a smaller machine working for you. You have to work a little bit harder uh, than you were as far as putting your ass out out there. And so when the artist came out and we were a four piece and we're touring, it was a total spinal tap thing because the tour sort of fell apart. We, I don't even remember where we were, but we were doing these in stores. Like we were going to Target and Best Buy and, you know, we were going to little mom and pop shops too. And we were showing, we started, you know, we did a few of them and they were, it was going pretty well. And then um, the last two we went to, uh, they didn't have our product. And then we, we did the ne- the one, the, you know, a couple of days after that one, there was no product and they didn't expect us. They had no idea we we're going to be there. Oh, wow. So the tour manager's on the phone with the label going, hey, uh, they again, they don't have our product. Um, they, they don't even know who we are. They, this is, this is, you know, Artie Pufkin. This is Artie Pufkin from, you know, Spinal Tap. Right. And he, he you know, someone's dropping the ball and we're going to, you know, we're going to cancel the rest of these shows if no one's expecting us. We could probably, I think we might have played a few dates on the way home just for gas money. But um, honestly, it was such a weird time for rock and roll. But I personally, I didn't blame anybody. I think that for the most part, the call of of our group was, um, was butthurt and didn't know what they were going to do. And we had to go home and get a job. And But, you know, people were blaming it on Nirvana. And I'm like, mm, someone's happy. Right. You know, someone out there is doing, making rock and roll and, and doing well. You know, let them have a chance. You right. know, let, let it, rock and roll is not prejudice. You know, the, the, the wind blew and the dollar bill blew out the door. And some people are going to follow that and leave us behind just because we don't, sound like what that dollar bill is sticking to people got upset you know and it's like it's like i'm not gonna buy a whole new wardrobe just to play rock and roll it, and, and back to back to what you were saying you were basically giving the record rave review and but i ca- actually kept one of the favorable reviews of the artist and uh every once in a while i'll read that thing and it's it's sick yeah. Someone fell in love with that record. Yeah, I was one of them. I will proudly say I, to this very day, still love that Dangerous Toys uh, record. One of my favorites. And uh, if you had to pick which tracks off that record stand out to you that you would maybe even consider putting on a Dangerous Toys playlist, if possible. Probably Share the Kill, um, may- maybe uh, Transmission. You know, that was the ballad on, on that record. I mean, it, it got some airplay. There's some songs on there that 
I really, really liked. Um, one of them is uh, Cure the Sane. Yes. I can laugh about it now, but there was a bit of a bummer. Those records got um, got bought up by uh, Cleopatra Records, and they have a perpetual deal uh, on those records. Like they they own the digital on that. They sort of bailed us out, and we're you know we're fine with that. Um, but anyway, they bought both of those records out, and then they put together a like a greatest hits album. And it had some live off of the live record we made for them. And it had some of the, uh, you know, the live stuff was of course the songs that were, were on the first, you know, the Columbia years. Sure. Like the live tease and pleasing and, and et cetera, live scared and stuff like that. They put um, songs from the artists, you know, the studio record, on this Greatest Hits album. So it had half, you know, the, the Columbia stuff, the hits, the MTV hits, I can say, were all live versions. And the, the studio tracks were obviously from the records that they had some thorns in. The album cover is awful. The record is called Kings of Sleaze. And then on Cure the Sane, which is one of my favorite tunes off of the yes. artist's they couldn't read the font we had chosen on the artist formerly known as cover art. And they called the song cure the lane. I was just like, really? They listened to the song. It's obvious that I'm not saying cure the lane. It's hard for me to live, live down that one. It's just how it, things were going. I want to move on real quick. Obviously, earlier this year, uh, we were seen on social media for those who are following you. Uh, before this pandemic happened, you were actually set to do some shows with Dirty Looks. How did that whole thing come about? Well, I was kind of a shoe-in, believe it or not. There's a lot of different takes on it because um, I had hung out with Henrik Ostergaard a handful of times. We had a lot of, we were a little bit gay for each other. We had a lot of respect <laughs> for each other. And his band, uh, just the way they play and the swagger that band has, it's, I mean, Dangerous Toys and Dirty Looks were pretty much writing the same kind of song. And so there was, there was huge respect in both camps for each other's world. It goes way back. I, I was uh, starting, the Toys were, his first album, uh, it was October 89. We were starting a tour with LA Guns and Tora Tora. And the tour started in our hometown, Lucky Us. And that same night, Dirty Looks was playing at the club that we were discovered in. And they were on Turn of the Screw tour. And we were already fans of Cool from the Wire. We hadn't met any of the guys yet, but we recorded our record with Max Norman, who recorded Cool from the Wire. So we were already hot on Max anyway. I mean, you know, to be able to walk around and go, yeah, I wrote a record with the guy who produced Crazy Train. What do you got? So anyway, you know, and, and Dirty Looks, I mean, it was, you know, a close second because we loved that record. We were fans. So I'm at the gig at the Austin Opera House, October 11, 1989. I'll never forget it. And the show is on, the doors are open, and I think Tora Tora is on stage. And I'm out there in the audience watching them, loving it. And it's, I'm, it's my hometown. All my friends are there. And I open the door to the hallway that goes back to the dressing room area because I'm going to go back there and put my skinny jeans on and make myself pretty. And, uh, and I open the door, and Jack Pyers and Paul Lydell from Dirty Looks are standing there face-to-face -face with me at the door. They were, like, reaching for the doorknob kind of thing, right? <laughs> right. 
And I'm like, oh, my God, you guys are in Dirty Looks. <laughs> like, I knew their names. I knew that I was a fanboy. I fanboyed out on them. Chatted with them for a minute. And I said, after we play, we're running over to the back room to see you guys play. And uh, they watched our set. And then they split. And we followed right behind them. You know, got on their bus and hung out with them and became friends. And then uh, every time I was off the road and Dirty Looks was coming through on, uh, you know, future releases and future tours, I was always there. And Henrik would ask me to get on stage with them and do a song. And that happened two or three times. In recent interviews, Paul Idell has brought to the world's attention that in his seven years with the band Dirty Looks, he never, ever saw anyone, and Henrik, ever invite anyone on his stage, except for Jason McMaster. Oh, that's cool. So that that freaked me out a little bit when I, when I saw the interviews and heard the interviews. When you sort of slice and dice all the little things like the stories I just told you, Paul Lydell, who's been in Dangerous Toys since 94, we talked about that a few minutes ago, when he and Jack and Gene started talking, you know, Jack and Gene and Paul were the original band on the Cool from the Wires Turn of the Screw lineup. When they got to chatting about a, uh, when Henrik passed uh, nine or ten years ago, um, they started talking about when it would be appropriate to pay tribute to Henrik or something. It sort of started to snowball, and Paul would keep me in the loop you know, he would say, I remember he called me one day and this was, this was years ago. Now he said, uh, if I send you like some drum machine drums and me playing riffs to a few dirty look songs, would you plug in and sing, sing some verse chorus over the top of a few tunes so I can send them to Jack and Gene just so they can see what you sound like on them. And I'm like, man, that sounds like a blast. <laughs> but sure. I wanted to do a good job. So of course I, I produced it and, uh, you know, did my best, you know, job to pay tribute to, to anything that Henry uh, had written. And uh, anyway, so it was about, I think, a year or two ago now that Paul called me and said, hey, um, Jack Pyers is going to come to Austin and I want to get a drummer and I want you to come sing, you know, and we'll put a set together and just kind of jam some dirty looks and see what we're going, what, how it feels and blah, blah, blah. And we did that and it was fun. Right. And and it was great, and it was the beginnings of something, and then it never happened for whatever reason. Here we are, it's only been maybe a month ago, six weeks ago now, yeah. that Jack and Gene have flown down here, and we worked up 17 songs with uh, David Beeson, who plays guitar in Broken Teeth. So, you know, Paul's playing all of Henrik's solos as well as all of his on the Cool From The Wire Turn of the Screw material with David Beeson playing rhythm while Paul's playing solos. Mm -hmm. And we worked up 17 songs. And we had those two shows and then the coronavirus hit. That's awesome. Well, Jason, this has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you making time for us here up here in Fargo. Any words that you want for your uh, your fans up here in Fargo? We got a lot of them tuning in. Uh, you know, not to sound like a beggar, but uh, musicians are, are sitting at home right now. Right. There's a lot of pro musicians are not making any money right now in this digital age where Spotify and people like that only pay fractions of a cent. Uh, on a streaming of their song. So check out my websites, brokenteeth.com, dangerous toys.us. 
Um, I have uh, Igniter.com, uh, Evil United is another band I'm in, Howling Sycamore is another band that I'm in, and buy a shirt, buy a record, buy vinyl, buy a CD, download it, do whatever you do as a fan uh, to support uh, music. And I think that the sooner that uh, this is over, uh, the quicker everyone's going to be jumping to uh, play shows again for people and um, make new material, it's, et cetera. This doing it over the internet, I'm sorry, there's, it's, it, it's not going to replace live music. Just even on a local level, I feel like, uh, you know, when I'm on a stage singing songs I wrote, uh, holding a microphone in front of my peers and my friends and fans and, you know, people I don't know who are singing my words I wrote, um, you know, I don't see it as adulation. I see it as we're in this together as a rock and roll army. And these are emotionally charged moments um you know when you hear your favorite song it doesn't matter if you just press play on it or it just comes on wherever you are or whatever and you know all the words it's like a language and it's a culture and we're all part of this one world and um you know the songs don't sing themselves and I feel like I'm flying when I'm singing those songs whether there's two people in the audience watching or 2,000 people in the audience watching. Well, thank you so yeah. much for uh, for chatting with us up here in Fargo. And uh, we're going to get into a track right now off of that Artist Formerly Known album. And uh, it's one of Jason's. It's one of our favorite. Check it out. It's Transmission, 95.9 KRFF. <laughs> 